dramatic takedown of a man suspected of being behind the wheel of a van that jumped the curb, plowing into pedestrians in Toronto. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with the latest on that developing story. Police trying to determine a motive for the carnage, which has not been labeled terrorism at this point. At least 10 people lost their lives. More than a dozen others were injured. The driver, identified tonight as Alec Manassian, arrested after a tense standoff with police. Our Paul Johnson has the very latest on the investigation. A mass casualty zone on one of Canada's best-known urban streets. I see him just keep going down one after another, and he just drove on the sidewalk. He wasn't on the road no more. Anybody in his path, they were flying in the air. He killed a lot of people. The attack began about 1.30 in the afternoon when the rider van charged up onto the curb of Young Street near the intersection with Finch. It continued south for two kilometers, ending just beyond Shepherd Avenue. A guy blows through the street on the sidewalk and he was continuing west um, on the west side of Young Street. Then this bizarre standoff when the van finally stopped. The driver holding an object that looks like a gun and apparently shouting, kill me. Come on, get down! Kill me! Come on, get down! Uh, he had a gun in his hand, started aiming, pointing to the officer. So the officer grabbed his gun too, and they both each other, facing to each other with a gun in the hand, asking to each other to drop it. But the officer backed the man down and arrested him with no shots fired. The suspect has now been identified as 25-year-old Alec Manassian of Richmond Hill, Ontario. As investigators poured over the crime scene, there was no immediate sense of motive. Though initially, it does not appear this is being considered a terrorist attack. There would appear to be no national security connection. All of Toronto is with you. At this time, we ask that you please join the Boston Bruins and the Toronto Maple Leafs in a moment of silence. At the Air Canada Centre this evening, a moment of silence before the Maple Leafs Boston Bruins playoff game. Toronto now begins the process of mourning and caring for its wounded and absorbing the terrible fact that one of the worst massacres in modern Canadian history killed people who were only out walking a city sidewalk on a sunny spring day. I hope that we will, as a city, remind ourselves of the fact that we are admired around the world for being inclusive and for, for being accepting and understanding and considerate, uh, and that we are uh, united in standing in a solidarity, especially with those who have uh, fallen. Paul Johnson, Global News. And Global's Jamie Marocker is in Toronto near that scene tonight. Jamie, what's happening there at this hour? Well, you can see behind me that emergency crews are still on scene. Toronto Fire is actually just moving their vehicle at this point, blocking the scene a little bit. But this scene stretches for over a kilometer. There are multiple areas where people were found dead, people were found wounded. You heard the death toll there. Ten people dead now. 15 people wounded. Four of those are still critical, so we're not out of the woods by any means just yet. We, you heard a little bit there about the suspect, Alec Manassian. Uh, we've heard a little bit more about him tonight. And Global News spoke to a family friend who sent us a screen cap of a social media post that was put online before Manassian's arrest earlier this afternoon. There's a lot of social media jargon in here, but I'm going to read a little tidbit from it. It says, the incel rebellion has already begun. We will 
will overflow all the Chads and Stacys. And what I'm told this means is the incel rebellion, that would be about the involuntary celibates. And Chads and Stacys are people who um, are good socially, who are good in a social sexual situation and able to get a date, if you will. So this seems to have something to do uh, with maybe uh, dating trouble. Uh, however, it's unclear if this post, which was posted this afternoon, has any link to this afternoon's incident. All right. Uh, obviously, it's still behind police tape on Young Street right now, Jamie. But what do we know about what will happen next and how long investigators will be on that scene? Well, this is going to be an extremely complicated investigation because, as you heard, while there is no risk, we're told, to national security, they're not ruling out terrorism completely at this point. Mark Saunders said they're still going to be investigating that angle as well as any mental health angles and anything else in between. They are appealing to witnesses to come forward. As for how long they'll be out here, it's unknown. But for sure, the next few days, we're told, this stretch of Young Street, which is extremely busy not only with pedestrians but with businesses as well, will be closed down. Businesses have been asked not to open up shop tonight or tomorrow, and people have been told not to make their way down here because uh, this investigation is so serious, multi-tiered, and it's going to take so much time. All right, thanks for that. Global's Jamie Marocker on Young Street in Toronto, and we'll continue to follow this developing story and bring you more details uh, as they become available throughout the news hour. Jamie, thank you for that. Now, new video tonight of the lynching of a Canadian man who was killed in Peru. The B.C. man mobbed by villagers who suspected him of murdering an Indigenous elder. Jean Hua has more on the events that led up to his violent death. And a warning, while we won't show you the entire video, the content is disturbing. Sebastian Woodruff is shot on video fighting off his attackers and pleading for them to stop. The horrific footage captured by someone in the crowd is possibly the last time the Comox Valley man was seen alive. Woodruff is later shown being dragged by the neck through a village in the Ucayali region of Peru. Once I realized that it was somebody that I knew and it was a very dear friend, I threw up. I was sick to my stomach. The lynching of the 41-year-old father is believed to be an act of revenge. On Thursday, spiritual healer Olivia Arevalo was shot and killed near her Victoria Gracia home. Why did they have to do this to my aunt? Why did they have to kill an innocent woman? The family of the 81-year-old asks on a Peruvian newscast. A wanted poster for Woodruff was allegedly circulated by her son. During the interview, they don't accuse the Canadian but demand justice. Justicia. Peruvian authorities confirm that Woodruff's body was found buried on Saturday. He died from strangulation and suffered several blows to his body. Nobody should ever, ever go through what he had went through. Hello, um, my name's Sebastian. Four years ago, Woodruff put out this video outlining his intentions to travel to Peru, hoping to learn about plant medicine to help treat people with addictions. According to reports, friends say he was experimenting with the hallucinogenic drink, ayahuasca. I guess if someone is under the acute effects and they're disoriented, uh, anything's possible. But it's not something that I would uh, think of as causing violence. Your connection to nature uh, can heal. Woodruff's family on Vancouver Island is asking for privacy at this time. Friends are certain the lynch mom got the wrong man. It is absolutely not something that he is capable of in any way, in any state. With a local medicine woman dead and a Canadian possibly killed in revenge, Peruvian authorities say they won't rest until both crimes are solved. John Hua, Global News.
A tearful appeal today from the mother of a murder victim, hoping someone knows something that will bring her son's killers to justice. Devin Allaire Bell was killed seven years ago, stabbed to death over a disagreement at a school park. Grace Key has more on the appeal and what we know about who police are looking for. I plead with you for help. Help to find justice for Devin. It's a heart-wrenching, emotional plea from a mother and father who are looking for justice in their son's murder. Please look into your hearts and your souls. This should never have happened. 19-year-old Devin Allaire Bell and his childhood friend Jack were out kicking a soccer ball on Easter Sunday 2011 at Frank Hurt High School in Surrey's Newton neighborhood. A group of young men approached them. They started arguing over the soccer ball, and that's when Devin and Jack were stabbed. They proceeded to viciously kick Devin. Jack pleaded with them to stop. They continued until Devin was unconscious. And they just walked away. The suspects and victims didn't know one another. Investigators released some video of five men leaving the park and hanging around businesses in the area. We believe we know who some of them are, but we need to know all of them. We need to know all that were involved in this, in this tragic act and to determine exactly what their roles were. It is terrifying to know that they are still walking the streets. Please help to bring these cowards to justice. If you know anything or think someone you know might know something, please contact IHIT. A vigil is planned at Frank Hurt Secondary on Tuesday, 7 p.m. to mark the seventh anniversary of Devin's death. Grace Key, Global News. Smoke from a house fire near Jericho Beach could be seen from downtown Vancouver today. The fire broke out in a home in the 4500 block of West 2nd Avenue this afternoon. The upper floor of the home was fully involved. Thankfully, the two occupants made it out safely and crews managed to prevent the flames from spreading to surrounding homes. No word yet on what started the fire. All eyes are on the forecast and the beautiful stretch of weather we're in, for, we're in for over the next week. But the heat comes as an abrupt change from the cooler, wetter first half of spring. And that's raising concerns about flooding. Jeff Hastings has a closer look at just who is vulnerable. Across British Columbia, high water is on the way. Ice melting as it swept down the Fraser River on an unseasonably warm day in Prince George. The nearby Nichaco is also starting to swell, and there's a stretch of very hot weather on the way. Snowpacks are near record highs in parts of the BC interior, and with this extended period of uh, very warm weather, certainly the snow will start to melt, and especially later in the week toward the weekend. Several snow basins were at or near 150% of normal three weeks ago. The boundary, Similkameen, Okanagan, Skagit, and Upper Fraser West, they've all risen an estimated 5 to 15% since then. And all that snow is starting to melt. It's getting fairly warm. It's probably 5 or 10 degrees above normal, so that's, it's, it's fairly hot for this time of year. Um, and in some areas, that, that, that's enough that's going to cause issues. Problems are already present in parts of the South Okanagan. The sandbags already out near Oliver, and evacuations over the weekend may only be the start. All it's going to take is a few more days of warm weather like this or, or a rain event. 
to um, make things become what I like to call biblical. Communities like Cache Creek saw significant flooding last year. The melt right now is mostly at low to mid-elevations, which means their rivers and streams need to be watched closely. And after last summer's massive wildfires, the risk is even higher. Uh, the Bonaparte River outside of Cache Creek is, is, is one where uh, extensive burning across the watershed, and so we would expect to have the potential there to see increased runoff. BC's big rivers aren't rising much yet, but they're being watched. Rain, sun, heat, uh, and the snowpack all are factors that determine what will end up happening, and all of those are dynamic. Jeff Hastings, Global News. And meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with a closer look at those temperatures and how long they could last, Christy. So if it really is too bad, these gorgeous sunshine and heat we've all been waiting for, of course, comes with a price. Uh, that should not be current temperatures 15 degrees. I apologize for that. I'm not sure what's going on with my uh, computer. But the key here is, Sophie, is that we have a trend that is going to be significant. The Okanagan region could reach 25 degrees come Thursday and Friday. And it's not until the weekend that there's a possible cool down. That is an average, average for this time of year, 17. So we're talking about 8 degrees above that. Uh, and in the long range, Sophie, although the cool down is expected for the weekend, it looks like we may see more sunshine and heat in the following week to come and we'll have more on that of course as we get a little closer all right thanks for that christy we'll check in with you later well we now know how much money will be generated as a result of vancouver's empty homes tax the city will see millions of dollars in revenue tanya beja has more on where that money is going and why critics say we'll never know if the tax is actually increasing rental housing which is the key reason for the tax in the first place the city says the empty homes tax will generate $30 million. So far, the city has collected $17 million. Uh, somewhat surprisingly, perhaps 99% of Vancouver property owners submitted a declaration. That's about 184,000 properties. Of those, 8,500 were deemed to be empty or underutilized, but only 3,300 will be subjected to the tax. Now, the median tax owed, according to the city, was $9,900, but the taxes really ranged from $1,500 at the low end all the way up to $250,000. Uh, according to the mayor, downtown had the highest concentration of empty properties. Those were mainly condos. Now, the city says it is now conducting thousands of audits. Uh, it is also responding to some disputed tax bills, so the numbers are likely to change. And those who are not... Uh, playing ball here and uh, who are skirting the system, uh, we will get you. <laughs> we have a team that's working on that and uh, we need to make sure that this is fair for everybody. The mayor and Vision Vancouver proudly announced that they're able to tax people and, and collect taxes to a certain degree, but they have not actually dealt with the issue at hand, which is finding more homes for people and making Vancouver more affordable. So I argue that this is spin from Vision Vancouver and that this empty home tax so far is a complete failure. The city says that the revenue generated from this tax will go towards affordable housing initiatives. So uh, we'll see the money be put into things like the rent bank or maintaining winter heat shelters. They're also talking about buying more land to build affordable housing. Back to you. Tanya Beja reporting in Vancouver. Tanya, thank you. The B.C. government is moving ahead with promised changes to ICBC in the wake of increased injury claims and a deficit of more than $1 billion. Attorney General David Eby today introduced legislation that will take all cases involving disputes of less than $50,000 
out of the court system and instead will put them in front of a newly established resolution panel to be resolved within 90 days. As well, the bill puts a payout limit of $5,500 on minor injury claims. The changes are to take effect April 1st of 2019. Right now, though, as you might have noticed, gas prices hit a new record high in Metro Vancouver today, 157.9 at most stations. Coincidentally, a new report from BC Hydro says the cost of going electric is less than many believe. But as Ted Chernecki reports, there are still plenty of hurdles. Ouch, 157. That means premium is pushing into the two bucks a litre territory. I think that we're going to move to cleaner energy very, very soon. Oh, it's just lovely. It's nice and quiet, smooth. Coincidentally, on the very day gas prices hit an all-time high, BC Hydro put out a report saying the electric vehicle alternative has never looked so good. And so range anxiety, you asked me about plug-ins. I don't even know where they are anymore. I don't care. That's what Hydro says. This range anxiety is unwarranted with all the next-generation electric vehicles coming to market. This year will be capable of 400 kilometers or more. And the car behind me, the Chevy Bolt, has, uh, I think, 385-kilometer range, as, as they've uh, quoted. Uh, and that's really the uh, kind of turning point this year. In Ontario, where one can get $14,000 in government rebates, sales hit almost 7,500 in 2017, up 120% from a year earlier. Quebec, up almost 7,200 vehicles, and B.C. at about 3,300 vehicles, or 53%. But still fewer than 2% of all new sales are electric or plug-in hybrid. So why are EV sales so slow? Some pointed to, on the survey, the lack of infrastructure, perception of the range and the performance that might be substandard compared to gas vehicles, the higher cost of the vehicles. But EVs can be cheaper in the long run. A Chevy Bolt costs a thousand dollars a year less than the very frugal Spark. The Kia Soul saves you seventeen hundred dollars and the Nissan Leaf saves you fourteen hundred and sixty-five dollars. And over five years, the after-tax dollars you save really shoot up. These days, it's all about speed. Norway has more than a thousand high-speed chargers. In fact, it just opened this station where 28 vehicles can rapidly charge simultaneously. That's about what BC has province-wide. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Meantime, TransLink is one step closer to making it easier to take transit. TransLink announcing its tap-to-pay option will start on May 22nd. It will allow riders to pay with Visa, MasterCard and mobile wallets along with the current Compass cards. TransLink is reminding you though that you need to tap your card, not a wallet containing multiple cards. The card readers will charge the first card they detect in a wallet, even if it's not the card that you want to use. Protests and counter-protests in Vancouver and Victoria today over a public school program that teaches children about sexual orientation and gender identity. As Jennifer Palmer reports, emotions ran high enough to force police to make arrests. More than 100 people from all over the Lower Mainland rallied by the BC Teachers Federation office in Vancouver to voice their opposition to SOGI 123, the Sexual Orientations and Gender Identities program in BC schools. When I went to school, they taught about puberty and girls, you know, natural things. I, I reserve the right to be able to teach my children what I want. A child who might be confused or or overly impressionable might be garnered over to that side. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, hey! Soji Ed is here to stay! 
Meanwhile, just across the street, dozens organized to voice their support of Soji and LGBTQ rights. Soji is just, you aren't going to be hated for who you are and you have the right to express yourself in any way possible and that will be backed 100%. Anybody on the opposing side, if they spent five minutes with me or my son, and got to know us and saw the family and the human face of these people, it would open their minds and their hearts and they would totally change their tune. The battle over Soji even landed on the grounds of the legislature in Victoria with counter rallies taking place there too. <laughs> However, two people were arrested after those in support of the program stole signs from those who oppose it. Still, the rallies carried on with both sides wanting the government to listen to their reasons. It's really, really a shame that we have so many people who are so willfully ignorant in 2018 who are here and spreading, you know, intolerance. We have beliefs that we are intrinsically and beautifully made, created by God, male and female. There are those who have tried to polarize the situation that want to drag society back and uh, I, I can say as the Minister of Education, we're not moving backwards, we're moving forward. Both sides vow to not stand down. Those against Soji say they're planning more rallies across the province. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Well, a lot of people consider it something of a victimless crime, but you might be surprised at the ways counterfeit products can affect us all. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrew, joins us now with that story. Anne? Yeah, a very lucrative industry, Sophie, especially for criminals. Mm -hmm. Thanks. The sale of counterfeit goods is a global problem, targeting both brand owners and consumers. The International Chamber of Commerce estimates counterfeit goods could cost the global economy over $4 trillion, that's U.S., by 2020. It's one of the reasons why Metro Vancouver Crime Stoppers is asking for the public's help. At Mine and Yours Luxury Resale in Vancouver, authenticity is guaranteed. The resale shop sells coveted brands from high-end handbags to luxury shoes and clothing. But when it comes to spotting the real thing, it takes a keen eye. Founder and co-owner Jigmi Love says she's seen an increase in counterfeit goods. Definitely a few times a week we will see um, five to ten counterfeit items come through. It's why Jigme has invested in a third-party authenticator and gone high-tech with Entropy, an authenticity app that can spot a fake. And the stitching and the surface of the bag, and then it compares it in an algorithm with thousands of other bags that the, the device has logged. A smart investment when you consider an estimated 20 billion to 30 billion in counterfeit consumer goods are sold in Canada every year. And loss in trade to legitimate brand owners is estimated in excess of $1 trillion globally. It's not a victimless crime. It hurts our economy. Um, people who sell counterfeit goods are not paying taxes. They're not employing people. Karen McDonald is an intellectual property lawyer who acts for brand owners. She says the makers behind fake products don't care whether the goods are dangerous. Just take a look at this collection from counterfeit pharmaceuticals, phone chargers to electrical power bars with a counterfeit CSA certification. If you're paying not a lot for a power bar, uh, if the price is too good to be true, uh, it could be a counterfeit uh, CSA symbol. Making matters worse, the online market, even on popular sites. It's very hard to go after the perpetrators online. It's easier to hide their identity. Still, Metro Vancouver Crime Stoppers wants to hear from consumers who've been duped or have knowledge of counterfeit goods. Oftentimes, organized crime is involved and people are afraid to call in or maybe haven't thought about the safety aspect and how it might impact and cause a fire somewhere. So we're asking people to call Crime Stoppers 
If they call Crime Stoppers, they will always remain anonymous. An important step to cut down on counterfeit goods and increase consumer confidence. So again, remember, if the price is too good to be true, it could be counterfeit. When shopping online, remember, shop at reputable stores. Also make sure the country of manufacture listed on the box of the product matches what's printed on the actual item. And we have more tips on our website, of course. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's all my information at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Returning now to our top story, investigators in Toronto trying to determine a motive for a deadly attack on a busy street today. At least 10 people are dead and 15 others injured after a van jumped a curb this afternoon on Young Street north of Midtown. The 25-year-old suspect, identified as Alec Manassi from Richmond Hill, Ontario, drove for about a kilometre mowing down pedestrians. He was later arrested after a dramatic standoff with police. The city has set up a hotline for information and a hotline for witnesses who may be traumatized by what they saw. This happened during a very busy time in the city of Toronto, one of the busiest streets in the country. There are a multitude of people that uh, may have uh, uh, witnessed it and as a result are, are concerned or, or uh, have issues regarding wellness. Anyone that uh, uh, feels uh, an opportunity or needs someone to contact uh, victim services, we've got a hotline for anybody. Toronto's mayor is warning residents that a stretch of Young Street will probably remain closed well into tomorrow. Shocking new details tonight about the man accused of killing four people on Sunday at a Tennessee Waffle House. 29-year-old Travis Reinking was arrested today after an intensive manhunt found not far from his apartment. It's being reported that while Reinking lived in Illinois, his delusional behavior forced authorities to seize his guns and turn them over to his father. But his father apparently gave the weapons back to Ryan King when he moved out of the state. Police say the shooting would have been much worse if not for the heroic efforts of Waffle House customer James Shaw Jr., who was grazed by a bullet when he wrestled the rifle away from the gunman. Some good news to report tonight on two members of the Humboldt Broncos hockey team. While six players are still in hospital after that deadly bus crash, which is unchanged from last week, two of them have now been upgraded from critical to serious condition. Saskatchewan has joined Alberta in threatening to block oil exports to B.C. It's the latest volley in the ongoing feud, primarily between Premier John Horgan and Alberta Premier Rachel Notley, over B.C.'s opposition to the federally approved Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Saskatchewan's energy minister has introduced the Energy Export Act, which would ensure Saskatchewan oil does not come to B.C. if Alberta stops its oil exports. The heartbreaking death of a 16-year-old Oak Bay boy is raising some troubling questions about how the health care system deals with minors. The parents of 16-year-old Elliot Yurchuk believe their son would be alive today if the system had allowed them to control his medications. Aaron MacArthur has the story. We're, we're still in emotional shock, and the loss is staggering. Staggering. Elliot Yurchuk was like a lot of kids his age. His love of sports, though, led to some serious injuries that put him more than once in the operating room. In order to manage his pain, doctors prescribed powerful opioids, drugs his parents were never told about. I begged his physician, and I know his physician wanted to be able to share the information with me, but he, I think he felt um, 
trapped. According to the Infant Care Act, kids under 19 are allowed to make medical decisions for themselves. If their physicians believe they understand the risks and are mature enough not to involve their parents. Elliot went so far as to block his parents' access to his files. And the first time, mom and dad knew anything was wrong when he was found unresponsive and needed Narcan. I think there's a very good chance that Elliot would be alive today if from the get-go we were completely informed. Parents across BC dealing with the opioid epidemic, urging the government to take some of the decision-making capabilities out of the hands of kids not equipped to make them. The government won't commit to concrete answers, but is looking at changes to give parents more rights. Certainly we will be looking at all of the legislation that potentially affects uh, children and youth and adults when they're struggling with addictions. Elliot's death is a tragedy, one his parents felt helpless to stop. If they have mental health issues and or drug addiction issues, they are incapable of making proper, sound, reasonable decisions, and it needs to be recognized. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Police in St. Louis called to an unusual rescue. We'll show you how it all turned out right after Christie's forecast. All right, Christie is back to talk more about that beautiful forecast ahead and a great scene behind you. Yes, I thought I would start off with this photo, Sophie, because I really thought it encapsulates what we're dealing with. It is spring, finally. The tulips are coming out, and it is clearing the sky, that is, and really heating up. But, of course, it comes with the risk of flood, and that's what we're going to be tracking all week long. So let's have a look at some of these temperatures, starting off with uh, the area around Metro Vancouver. The heat is really going to be in through the interior regions inland, I should say. Closer to the water, it will be a little cooler, but up to 24 degrees away from the water in areas like Mission and Abbotsford as well. And that's just the beginning of it. Wednesday, Thursday for our region will be the hottest days, up to 25 for those areas. So tomorrow is the start of the heat, those two days being the hottest. And then as we head towards the weekend, things are going to cool off. At this point, we have showers in the forecast for the weekend. We'll hopefully refine that as we get closer, but that looks to be the end of the heat. Now, those of you further inland in the Okanagan, I'm using Kelowna just as an example, up to 24, 25 to degrees, but the two heating days for you will be Thursday, Friday. So those are the days that we'll really be tracking the flood situation, certainly. And then as you head towards the end of the weekend, that's when you'll finally see things cool off a little bit. Keep in mind, overnight temperatures are still low enough that you won't have as much melt through the overnight. It's mainly during the day that we'll see that. Uh, when we look at the uh, cloud cover for tomorrow, we do have some cloud that's going to move in later tomorrow. So don't be surprised if you see that cloud, but it's going to clear out and we'll be left with sunshine through our Wednesday. Those of you across the North Coast, you've been dealing with rain. Finally, that will ease off for you tomorrow morning. A clearing trend on the way. Further inland, sunshine and warmth. Kamloops, 24. Kelowna, 21 tomorrow. Soyuz, 23 degrees. And for the Metro Vancouver region, a range from 15 to 23 degrees. In areas like Nanaimo, 19. As I mentioned, Sophie, we will see a change come the weekend. We'll refine that as we get a little bit closer. Uh, for the long, long range, though, it looks looks like we may rebuild with sunshine and heat late next week. And I'll leave you with this beautiful sunset shot from Sandra and Port Moody. Back to you. All right. Just playing musical chairs here. Live TV. <laughs> Got to make room for Squire. Squire, jumping right. in there. Thanks, Christy. Okay. Well, St. Louis police had a delicate rescue on their hands. Yeah. 
A dog was found with its head stuck in a sewer pipe and in obvious distress. Police decided to try to work the pipe off, trying to avoid endangering the dog with any kind of tool. Yeah, he's breathing. Do you guys have a rope or something? Oh, it's victory! Pup was a little bewildered by the whole thing, but uninjured. No word on what lured the dog into the pipe. Oh, puppy. Oh, God. <laughs> you hear him growling in there? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. He's okay now, though. Hi. Okay, how you doing? Oh, curiosity got better of the dog. It's usually the cat. What, what's going on? How you doing? <laughs> That's a rough voice. Is that better? You okay? <laughs> it was just rough for a second. Okay. I'm all better now. Good. I don't know if it's the fan's job to get mad. It seems like it's... <laughs> well, it's not a job, but it's probably a natural reaction. Hold them accountable. Let's put it that way. It's a natural reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so they should because it's gone sour. Uh, for the Whitecaps right now, white is not the color. It's red, as in embarrassingly red. Uh, losing 6 nothing in Kansas City last Friday was as bad as it has ever gotten for Vancouver. They were missing Kai Kamara, we know that, but that's not the reason they were buried so badly by sporting. The uh, good news, though, it's still early in what always seems like a never-ending major, lock, major, locker, major soccer league season. So there is time to make this bad stretch a distant memory. Good move to get to the byline in a dangerous area. Tries to pick out a man, and it's an easy chest in. In behind Croce, and there it is, his first MLS goal, and it's six for Sporting Kansas City. The fans should be mad. I think uh, if you're not embarrassed or you're not mad about the result and the way we enter down, you shouldn't be here. Here for the Whitecaps is a three-game losing streak highlighted by this 6-0 shellacking. It's the worst defeat in franchise history. A match where everything that could go wrong did. Even when the Caps should have scored, Jordy Reyna couldn't. After that, things went from bad to worse during a 45-minute unforgettable half of football. Rather than blame someone else, let's look at ourselves. From putting the ball in the back of the net in the first five minutes to not marking Johnny Russell on the edge of the box uh, to then missing a tackle or an assignment. And I think we let our details get away from us and then the frustration sets in and then you lose emotional control, which is what happened on Friday. Goal, Madrando. That was a late challenge by Kendall Waston. And now, uh-oh, afters. Aside from losing their composure in Kansas City, the bigger question is, has this side lost its way? Eight games into the season, the Caps have scored eight goals and just three in their last six. They've yet to have the same starting 11 in any of their matches. So whether it's a lack of cohesion, the inability to finish or defend, the quality just isn't there. Everyone got to regroup, and, and now it's... It's not about the beautiful soccer. It's about how much we care about this team. So what will a pretty win look like or what will an ugly win look like? Three points <laughs> will look great for us. Obviously, we like to play and, and win pretty for the fans and for everyone. But at this moment, we only need three points. Okay, so when you're in the dumps like the Whitecaps are, you can get really happy just by seeing somebody jog. Yes, it's true, especially if the guy jogging is Kai Kamara, who is suffering from a groin injury. The very fact he can do this means things are getting better for him. He even said he didn't think he'd be out as long as doctors thought he would, which was around four weeks. Kamara might even get back for Friday's game against Salt Lake.
I think there's a possibility he'll be okay on, on for Friday, but we'll have to wait and see. If you ask the physios, they'll tell you he's not there yet. Uh, I'm pushing and pushing because he's a key player for us. I want him on the field as soon as possible. Moment of silence for the victims of what happened in Toronto oh, the day before Game 6 between the Leafs and the Bruins. Man down for the Leafs and a good chance for Brad Marchand through Anderson's legs, but not into the back of the net. So it remains nothing-nothing. Boston does get the first goal. Second period, Jake DeBrusque, the quick wrist shot, it's one nothing for the Bruins. That one does get through Anderson, but that's the only one that's gotten through him so far. Shortly after that goal, William Nylander gets the rebound here and ties it. Leafs had a goal disallowed for goaltender interference after this one, but they would eventually get a second goal that would count. Mitch Marner. As Marshan loses the puck, the quick backhand late in the third, Leafs holding on if they win. Game 7 is Wednesday in Boston. John Tortorella trying to force a Game 7 against Washington. The series started good for his team, but the Capitals have got their act together since then. They're up 1-0. Nick Foligno scores. It's the all-clothing battle. It's jackets against caps. Uh, Alex Ovechkin here in front of the net, the net, whips a rebound in, and then on the power play, the great eight at the end of the triangle, as he often is. There's one side, there's the other side, there's him. Make that now 5-2 in the third. They've scored like crazy early in the third, but it looks like the uh, Caps are going to win this series in six. Okay, two big NHL moves for guys who wear suits and ties. Uh, Minnesota fired GM Chuck Fletcher after nine years in the job. A lot of his teams made the playoffs, but they didn't do very much in the playoffs. So he's out. And as expected, Calgary hired Bill Peters as their new head coach. He resigned as a Hurricanes head coach to take this job. He's an Alberta guy. He's never made the playoffs in Carolina, but he believes he has more talent to work with in Calgary. And he's probably right. The majority of the core is, you know, still in their prime and still has room to grow. There's a higher ceiling to be reached, and it's just an exciting group. I know when I last coached against this group, it was prior to the bye week. We had the identical bye weeks, Carolina and Calgary, and they gave it to us pretty good in our building, 4-1. So there's lots to work with, and that's exciting. All right, there you go. All right, thank you very much, Squire. Welcome. Prince William and Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge, emerging from London St. Mary's Hospital to show off their third child, born this morning, a little boy, name to be announced. A few moments later, they walked out again, pretty much like any new parents, except for the army of photographers and screaming fans to take their new baby home. Tonight, the royal family's new prince slept right through his TV debut. His parents handling the royal waves. Kate, dressed like Diana, holding newborn Harry. The official announcement was done the old-fashioned way, posted at the gates of London's Buckingham Palace. For the rest of the world, a tweet announcing the birth of a healthy boy, eight pounds, seven ounces. The queen, riding her horse in Windsor, was delighted. The Cambridges are now a family of five. Prince George still in his school uniform and Princess Charlotte showing no fear, smiling and waving for the cameras at the hospital to meet their baby brother. He's fifth in line to the British throne after Prince Charles, Prince William, Prince George and Princess Charlotte. 
For the first time, the little princess can't be pushed out of the way just because she's a girl. This is the first baby boy to be born in the royal family who is not going to boot Princess Charlotte out of the line of session because the Queen has changed the rules there. Champagne! In London, they poured champagne and snapped selfies to celebrate the baby prince. He's their third child. He'll probably never be king. But as you can see, the interest is as strong as ever. Today, Prince William handled the car seat himself and joked about being a dad. Will the baby boy be a Prince Arthur? Prince Albert? Prince Philip, perhaps? His dad would only say, you'll find out soon enough. Kelly Cobiella, NBC News, London. <laughs> I'm amazed. That was just hours later. And she, and she looks looked amazed, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, she is a duchess. Yes. After all, so she might have people for that. I think, yeah, she probably has people. <laughs> very so. regal when she comes out of the hospital. In other royal related baby news, uh, Kate's sister Pippa is expecting her first child with her husband, James Matthews. So, so we got the third um, Kate and William baby. We got the Philip, or not Philip. Um, Harry and Meghan wedding coming up. Right. And then Pippa has a baby. There's a lot on the calendar. Yeah. I know you're on the edge of your seat. I am. (laughs) It is pretty exciting. I really am. I really, actually, but not for that reason. I'm just on the edge of this seat for some reason. (laughs) All right. Final word on the weather forecast. Sure. So spectacular week in store for us. That's for sure. Up to 23 away from the water Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday will be the two hottest days. And then Friday, we start to cool off a little bit.